This is Dr. Richard Benjamin, head of the International Slave Museum in Liverpool and visiting professor with the School of History, Languages and Cultures at the University of Liverpool. And you are listening to the Academy's Develop and Practice podcast. Hello, in this episode we chat with Richard Benjamin, Head of the International Slavery Museum Liverpool and Visiting Professor with the School of History, Languages and Cultures at the University of Liverpool about his work in driving forward the practice of museology. We hope you enjoy. Richard, we're really pleased to be speaking to you today. We're delighted to be talking to you about your experience of leading the International Slavery Museum here in Liverpool, as well as your visiting professorship at the university. But before we get started, please, could you tell us a little bit about your background and how you've arrived at the position you're in today? Okay, well, look, thank you for the invitation to to be on the podcast. I'm really excited about it. It's been a bit of a journey, I suppose, to be head of the International Slavery Museum since... 2006, so what's that, over 15 years now. Uh, So look, I'm from small town, middle of North Yorkshire, Tadcaster. It's between York and Leeds. And actually that was the beginning of the journey because we're surrounded by fantastic history and heritage. And do you know, when I was a a kid, my dad loved history uh, as well. And he used to take me to museums. I think the first museum I ever went to was Leeds City Museum. You know, I was 10 years old, still remember the excitement of going to the museum. Uh, and we also, because we live near York, I went to the Yorvik Viking Centre. when it Yeah, opened. I remember that. Yeah, I mean, it was a, it was a big deal, wasn't it? When it, it was. When it opened. And I can still remember going when I was about 10 or 11. So I always had a love of history and a love of archaeology. And I actually studied eventually archaeology at, at university at Liverpool, you know, uh, and I've kind of hung around. So when I finished, finished my PhD in 2006, it was just about the time that National Museums Liverpool was looking for a head of the museum. So I was in the city, I'd just done my PhD, which kind of included issues around museums and diversity and inclusion. And the rest is history. So I'm in front of you now talking about it. Fantastic. Yeah. So you always knew that you'd, you'd go into a field related to history. Is that right? I always wanted to do. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, I don't know if they do it now, but in my day at school, we had a, you know, the careers advisor. <laughs> and I remember once getting a, a, a piece of paper after my interview, they sent me a piece of paper with what they thought I'd be any good at. And one of them was an auctioneer, which I always thought was slightly odd. <laughs> uh, but the other one actually said archaeologist. And it right. stuck with me did that. I wasn't sure exactly what it was at the time. So I don't know. Maybe it was meant to be I always had a fascination with with the past and like I said because of where I was from even though it was a small small town you were surrounded by rich history and heritage and you know I even went on my work placement at school you know this is when I was in my teens I actually went on an archaeological dig for my work placement what a marvelous thing to do yeah really is that the school were able to help me do that and I went on the dig in York so yeah from a young age I was kind of on this on this journey I think. I've got to say I'm really I'm really jealous um, <laughs> I've always been interested in archaeology 
there, there was a one time on the way to college, um, time team were doing a dig in Stoke-on-Trent right. and they, they, were, they were digging up some old pottery and I got off the bus and just hung around and just sort of watched <laughs> it for a couple of hours then I was late to college. But um, archaeology has always been something I've been interested in. Yeah. My bit of paper from school, because I didn't want to be in an office all the time, but I wanted to be moving around with technology, was um, photocopy repairman. <laughs> Devastated. <laughs> a good solid career, though. Eh? That's a a good, good, solid I mean, job. they still exist today. It could they have do, been worse. Yeah. It could have been fax, uh, fax repair guy instead. Yes, that's gone. Yeah, you, you'd have missed. You'd have had to look for something else. I would have done. <laughs> so you started your undergraduate study in Edgehill Community and Race Relations, and then moved into studying archaeology at the at the university. So what really drew you into archaeology specifically? Yeah, well, it was interesting. I'll, I'll be honest with you. When I so you know you've got a bit of the background. You know, I loved archaeology, wanted to get into it, uh, but you know, I wasn't the highest achiever at school. Uh, you know, I was okay, but I was no I was no prodigy in any shape or form. And I was also given advice: if you're looking to do archaeology, you needed grades that were you know A's and B's. If you were going to go to one of the you know, the good unis, UCL in London, you know, Cambridge, Oxford. I, I really wasn't in that league, if I'm being totally honest. Uh, so I was looking for, I thought, okay, well, if I'm not going to do it as professionally, I can still do that as a, you know, as a hobby. So I won't kind of not do archaeology, but maybe not professionally. And I looked at alternative courses that interested me. And community and race relations, uh, because it was kind of a, I suppose it's quite a strange sounding course. So it kind of drew me in. I thought, what, you know, what's this about? And I actually liked the idea that it was working with communities. It was looking at issues about uh, race relations because of my own family background, from a diverse background. So there was things there that resonated. So I kind of segued into that, you know, sociology going over that way. But I never lost my love of archaeology. Never. And to cut a long story, kind of short, when I had, you know, got my degree, I'd gone back to Leeds to to work you know we had to everyone has to earn a bit of money after the, they've done the degree or I did anyway you know that was reality check and I always had it in the back of my mind you know I think I could be an archaeologist and I ended up writing to a number of universities and I actually said in the letter look I've got an interest in it uh, academically I'm not from I haven't got an archaeological background academically but I would love to do something still and I got a few responses including Liverpool who said okay come for an interview and I ended up doing my MA at Liverpool so credit to Liverpool for giving me a oh, chance yeah. really you know I have to be honest they, they took a bit of a punt on me and well I'm here still <laughs> I've come back <laughs> can't get rid of me now <laughs> brilliant and then does your PhD tie the two subjects together or is it pure archaeology yeah absolutely tied them together that's a really good question uh, I think from the beginning, so I'm, when I was at Edge Hill, and I actually found it really interesting kind of engaging with those issues that I talked about, about race relations, diversity, inclusion, I, I thought to myself, yeah, this is for me as well. And I wanted to marry it with something to do with history of archaeology. So I did do that. And for the MA, I started looking at issues around diversity in the past, and I was particularly interested in, and this is what my PhD was in, is how communities, particularly diverse communities, we're in Liverpool, it's a great place to, to be located, 
uh, and how they engage with elements of their history and their past. So, do you know, I would say all my academic life and today as well, it's all been about marrying just an interest in archaeology anyway with issue based subjects, a lot of them that have mirrored my own personal situation. And sometimes that's great. And other times that can be a drain. You know, <laughs> sometimes I just wish I was an expert on something that had nothing to do with so difficult issues sometimes. But, you know, I, I shouldn't know. And I'm in a good place. Yeah. And I guess that's come together really nicely in terms of your role now leading the International Slavery Museum um, in Liverpool. And I have to say, I've spent quite a lot of time in that museum and I really oh, love it. I've taken my own children, but also I used to um, be head of department for early childhood studies at a different institution. And we used to take the students um, for a day at the um, museum. And it was it was fab because we used to look at constructs of childhood and how those mm. constructs have changed over time and how... Yeah. You know, there's a long legacy um, in Liverpool in terms of children and slavery and how they all link. Um, yes, yes. Really, really interesting. And the students just used to love spending time in the museum. And um, I think, you know, a lot of them came away like, my goodness, how we construct childhood has changed so much. Um, and this, yeah. the museum really supported them to understand um, that glad. change. That's good to know. I mean, the, the end of the day, it's all about people being able to to develop their own skills and ideas and understanding. That's what a museum's about. So I'm pleased to, I'm pleased to hear that. That's brilliant. And, and the museum seems to perform a crucial role to support us all to understand the challenging legacy of Liverpool's slavery history. So I wondered if you could just tell us a bit about the strategy um, that you've led at the museum to increase understanding about the impact and legacy of slavery. Yeah, I mean, it's a really good, good point is that. I mean, Liverpool's been on its own journey. So one of the things I often say, to people is put ISM, International State, put it into context of a much longer narrative. I say this to members of the public, I also say it to members of my own team and people who are new to working with the museum. We, we didn't invent the way to talk about transatlantic slavery. That was a discussion in Liverpool, many cities across the country, but particularly in Liverpool, mm. it was very much, very much community led and activist led in the early years. We're talking, you know, going back into the eighties, people who were saying we kind of demand that the city looks maybe in a lot more open manner about how it came to be yeah uh, so that wasn't the museum that that started that discussion but it was part of that discussion so in one sense it was an output you know of those I suppose demands in many in many respects uh, so that's one thing I think it's really important for people to know but the museums did have a really important you know part to play so you look at the transatlantic slavery gallery now that opened in 1994 so many years before ism yeah opened. and that was in the basement of the merseyside maritime museum and some of the people obviously listen to this will be very familiar with it we're on the royal albert dock you know the big tourist attraction area of liverpool uh you know it's a marvelous looking part of the city but in the 80s and 90s it was less so you know it was a pretty deprived area and the development of the museums, both the Tate and the Merseyside Maritime Museum, were big, big deals. You know, mm. it was regenerating the area. So as part, so in the early 90s, when there was these, I suppose, greater discussions about, look, the city needs to do more, then the idea came about that there would be a transatlantic slavery gallery in the basement of the Maritime. Now, that's quite important. Because yeah. jump forward to 2006, the plan was to take it to the third floor, to, <laughs> to increase the prominence 
of it. So even that was a uh, a subtle difference, but an important one. You know, they were bringing yeah. it up from the basement as such. So ISM was a continuation of the transatlantic slavery gathering. And how I would explain that is it broadened its remit. So the transatlantic gallery was very much on, you know, chronologically, this is what happened. This is how many Liverpool ships were involved. This is who was involved, etc. Really important information. ISM, and when I came into it, my remit was to engage with communities so that they had, I suppose, a say in the narrative mm -hmm. rather than just being given the narrative. So you're saying you, you, know, you visited you know, with young people. So it's how would we as a museum engage those young people to get them to, you know, to develop their own understanding and what would they do after that? You know, what did they do when they left ISM? You know, did they want to get involved in something? Did they want to find out more? So for me, it wasn't just about your visits, it's about what you took away with you and whether you came back, but also whether you went on your own journey developing ideas that, you know, the idea might have been sparked at the museum. And that's just a different way of museums acting. You know, it's not just about come to see us. This is what this subject's about. Bye bye. Yeah. So maybe yeah. that was the, the strategy was to be more engaging. Yeah, absolutely. For us, it was a massive trigger point of, you know, going back to the classroom and having those discussions and, you know, then looking outside of Liverpool as well. And yes. Um, yeah. But to have that as the initial kind of trigger for us to, to promote it. those conversations was really important for us. Yeah, it's a gateway. I always say to people, if you were to describe ISM, you know, it isn't the oracle. It's not the be all and end all. You know, there's there's humans working there. We make mistakes. You know, it's, it's subjective. I mean, the museums aren't neutral. You, you get all that in a, in a museum. So it's a gateway to the subject and for someone to continue the journey like, like your good self and, your, and the young people. One of my first visits to the museum was actually when I first started at the university in 2016, one of the first tasks I had was to create a course on modern slavery. Oh, right. As okay. part of our, as part of the university's commitment to getting rid of modern slavery throughout its supply chain. One thing that really stuck with me was a piece in the museum about, I can't remember the country, but it was where girls as young as 12 were being sold off. And, and being married at, at 12 years old, it really did stuck, uh, stick stuck with me. So, yeah, I mean, that's another powerful example of how the museum you know, has helped to shape a bit of my practice as well. Well, that's good to, and, it, and that's, you know, for me, it's really, it's a difficult subject, but it's good to hear that we've, we've been some use. And, you know, like I said, we're not the be all and end all, but we've, you're kind of working together, aren't you? You're developing something for, you know, colleagues and staff, and you've kept, you know, we've helped you along that that journey and we're in the same city. So for me, that, that shows something's working. Definitely, definitely. So now you've taken a step back from leading the museum uh, for two years. You've joined the School of History, Language and Cultures as a visiting professor. So can you tell us a little bit about some of the work you'll be undertaking at the university? Yeah, I will do. Well, it's, it's, it's a, it's a marvellous opportunity for me. And I'm kind of very thankful to, to National Museums Liverpool and, and the university for kind of allowing me to to come back in this role it's uh you know it's it's showing that there's a strong partnership between the organization so you know i wanted to say that that's a, i think it's a real positive and if it goes well maybe there will be other secondments um, in the future i think it's an, i think it would be a, a great way to further develop our our relationship so uh i've come back for two years yes that's an interesting kind of time period to be away from the museum and uh you know i've got to decompress a little bit because it's very different i've got 
more of my own time back. I'm here to do some research. So I'm, I'm really, what I'm here for is to develop themes that I really didn't have the time to do when I was head of the museum. When you're head of a museum, and there may be other people here who, who run museums or in senior management roles, a lot of the job, like any senior job, isn't it? There's a lot of other things that you do other than the really juicy bits about content. <laughs> you know, you've got to run it. You have budgets, you have staff, this, that, and the other. And, you know, it's all, it all comes as one big package. But as someone that's come from the background that we've been talking about, I didn't always have the, the capacity to just carry out some research, you know? And so this allows me to do that. So it's interesting, Matt, you mentioned modern slavery there. So I'm kind of here, there's kind of twofold, two reasons really. One is to kind of work with academics within the university. For instance, those who specialize in modern slavery and other forms of enslavement, to see if there's different narratives we could use in the museum as it's developing. One thing I will say, just so people understand the timeline. So the Slavery Museum has just got a major amount of funding from the National Lottery Heritage Fund, which allows it to do some two years of development work, working with communities uh, in a much more kind of uh, sustained way. So they've got quite a lot of money to, to do that. It's 10 million pounds. It's a, it is a lot of money. And that will feed into the development of the museum space. So we actually own a building on the Albert Dock that was originally the dock traffic office, but people who listen to this might know it as the old Granada TV building, very well known in Liverpool. Well, we have National Museums Liverpool, you know, owns that building. So part of the plan is to make that the front door of the museum, not just being on the third floor of the Maritime. So to do that, you need to develop the content and you need to revision the narrative. So me coming here will hopefully feed in to do we change the way we look at things? And so do we approach modern slavery in a different way? That's one. The other kind of arm that I'm particularly interested in is something that I suppose builds on my own research, my PhD. Uh, and we talked briefly before didn't, about the you know, issue based. I've always found it something that's something that's very kind of relates to my own personal background as well. So, you know, diversity and inclusion, that's always been a big part of what what I've been interested in. So as a museum person, you know, for the past 15, 16 years, one of the things I've been interested in is, is one, diversifying the amount of people and the type of people who work within museums. Uh, and also the different types of museums you have. So I had a slavery museum. And one of the interesting things is how people perceive that. Some people perceive it as a human rights museum. Some people perceive it as a black history museum. So there's different ways of looking at museums. So the other strand of my research, which I am kind of labeling as a subject of black museology. So that's looking at the issue and the development of what we call black museums and black cultural spaces. So what I mean by black museums is in the 60s and the 70s, particularly in the US, there was uh, a movement built on decades and decades of conversations. It wasn't just overnight, but it kind of linked in and mirrored the civil rights uh, movement as well in the US to a degree. So in the 60s and 70s, Black museums, also known as African-American museums, or even neighborhood museums, community museums. And what I'm interested in is what the influence of that has been outside of the US. I spent some time, you see, in the States from a PhD. So that's why I have got an interest in African-American archaeology and African-American history, because I was there. I was based at Harvard for, for a few months. Uh, and I, I was able to kind of use that as a base to, to work around the US 
working with archaeologists in the field of African-American archaeology. So I am building on stuff I've been interested in before my time at, at uh, National Museums Liverpool. So I want to take that further, though. So how does that affect museum practitioners today, including myself? You know, do we do things in a certain way? Uh, you know, does your museological practice, is it affected by lived experiences? So I'm, I've got time to develop that. And hopefully some of the findings will feed into the next, the journey of ISM and what we become in the future. So that's early stages, but that's the aim. That's really exciting that there's going to be like tangible outputs in terms of developing yeah. the future practice with the museum. And are there any other ways? I mean, what you're looking into is really interesting. And I know people around Liverpool and actually around the country will be really interested in some of the outputs from your research. How are you going to disseminate that? How are you going to get the word out there? Well, one of the ways I'm going to do that is to obviously, I am very impressed by the success of this particular podcast. So I'm going to launch, hopefully, in early spring sometime. Uh, I think one of the ways is a podcast. Uh, I've never done it before. I've still got a lot of things to, to work out, but I'm looking to uh, interview and to speak with a number of people that I've worked with over the years, but also contacts from the museum world that I've met, whether they be from the US, you know, people who are involved in the Black Museum movement, you know, in the 60s and 70s and 80s. So I've got some people who are actually within that field. Uh, there's local members of the Liverpool Black community who engage with the work I do at the museum. So one thing I would say is even though Black museology is the umbrella, it allows me to talk about loads of different things that connect to it. You know, you don't have to be a museum person to, to hopefully be interested in what my research is or what the podcast will be about. So, you, you know, you've got everything in there, probably from, you know, the issues around decolonizing museums, decolonizing curriculums, you know, about the replacement and removal of statues and, and in the public environment, all that will feed into what I'm doing. So early March, hopefully get in the podcast. So watch this space uh, you know, on, on the school's website. Yeah, great. And send us the link as well. And we'll, yes, we'll I'll publish it through the podcast as well. That's really exciting. Well, that's been really, really interesting. And thank you so much for your time. This podcast is called the Developing Practice Podcast. And we really like to finish each conversation with three or four take home tips for our listeners where they can reflect in terms of their own personal practice. So Richard, if you could give us three or four tips, what would they be? Right, three or four tips, that's a, that's a good question. It put me on the spot here. Well, look, one of the things that I always say to people, and this is, this is from personal experience, some of the great scholars that I have ever worked, and this is from, you know, whether that be somewhere like Harvard or locally, they're people who have always wanted to share what they do. And whereas there'll be a lot of academics listening to this and, and professionals, that's not the default way that everyone is. And so for me, I've always been helped by people. So whether you're an undergraduate student or you're at the pinnacle of your career, being open and willing to share your knowledge. And that's relevant, particularly in Liverpool and some of the things I'm talking about, because there are members of the community, sadly, uh, great historians and community activists who've, who've passed, people like Dorothy Cuya and Eric Lynch, who sadly passed recently. And they were all about engaging people and imparting their information. So that, for me, is really interesting. Be open to sharing what you know. It, it makes a difference. I've always been a big advocate as well of kind of working in teams and having a close 
bond with your teams. Uh, again, some people, it, it's a personality trait as well, possibly. I enjoy my own time, but equally I enjoy working in, in a team. So I've always been kind of very open to that. And I'd like to think, and again, this can be, it sounds simple. And I think I'm a decent listener because people are very different. So in the team that I have, you know, I'm head of the museum, there's several curators, the people who administer, we're all different personalities. You know, I'm quite outgoing naturally, you know, but other members of the team are not. And that doesn't mean though that they don't always have something to offer. So I'm always very aware of the people I work with, you know, and I think you need to be a people person. Uh, so again, that, that's helped me, that's helped me. Uh, and a final one, I suppose, you know, if it helps anybody, I have always, <laughs> I work in a, in a difficult field, mm. you know, and the, it would be easy sometimes to go to work, always looking incredibly solemn and always feeling in, you know, like quite oppressed with the information. And that is the case. It's, it's yeah. a, a tough subject. But, you know, my mum always used to say, if you start the day with a smile on your face, mm -hmm. it's not a bad way to start. And I like to think I go into every day. At least I start the day like this, going with a smile, you know, think how fortunate I am to be even in a position where I'm working on a museum that I do, do think makes a difference to people's lives. And, yeah, it's a really big subject. And sometimes that can be a bit of a heavy burden to bear. But that's why the teamwork comes into it. And that's why the listening is important, because you can share your feelings. And sometimes, you know, just because I'm 50 and I've got broad shoulders and I'm a Yorkshireman doesn't mean sometimes you don't want someone just to listen mm -hmm. and to give you a bit of advice and have a, you know, shoulder to cry on sometimes, you know. So to be open with your emotions, that sometimes can be, I think, can be very helpful. Wonderful. Thank you, Richard. Thanks so much for your time. Yeah, my pleasure. Yeah, nice to have that chat and good luck with the podcast. Thank you very much. Thank you. I really enjoyed that chat with Richard. You know, he talked about how he wanted the museum that he leads not just to be about one-off visits, but instead to be a gateway to further thinking, reflection and exploration. And he also talked about how he wants that to be like the start of a journey for members of the local community. Yeah, I think that's a really nice way of thinking about museums and their role in local communities. I also like the way that Richard talked about his work at the university for the next couple of years, where he'll be looking at the different narratives people use in relation to modern slavery. He's also looking at the development of black museums and black cultural spaces, which I'm sure will be incredibly interesting. And one of the outputs of this research will be his new podcast. So as soon as we have more details about that podcast, we'll link to it in the reading list and the show notes for our listeners to check out. Well, if you'd like to take your thinking further, as I say, we'll add some resources to the website on a specific podcast reading list, which you can access at liverpool.ac.uk forward slash the hyphen academy forward slash podcast. Please also do let us know about the episode. You can tweet us at LiveUni Academy and you can also find us at eLearnerMatt or at Alexandra underscore Owen on Twitter. Yep, and as usual, we are really grateful for those who have already taken the time to either rate or review our show in your podcast provider's app. And if you haven't done so already, please do review the show as it really will help others find us. Bye for now. Bye.